Welcome to the People Show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf along with Dom and Elon coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics providers. Provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. You can always chime in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. A lot to get into today. We're going to be joined by Basketball Central's Marcus Fitzgerald. We're going to talk about Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA tonight. Celtics and Heat Celtics looking to become the first team ever to come back from a 3-0 deficit to win a playoff series in NBA history. Meanwhile, the Heat look to uh, go to their second finals in the last four years. Jimmy Butler and Miami. We'll do that in about five to ten minutes. Marcus will join us. But what we want to get into to start is the World Championships and a standout performance from tournament MVP Arthur Silovs, who won the bronze medal for Latvia, was awesome in net, seven and two record. I believe it was a nine twenty three save percentage. Really showed some of that potential that a lot of Canucks fans see in him, and hope to see in Abbotsford, maybe sometime in Vancouver next year as well. Trade him. Trade, well, trade, trade him. him? Trade him. Get trade him. him? That's, that yeah. was the narrative today across the uh, Vancouver sports landscape. I don't know. Get him out of town. I don't know if his stock rose that much, personally. I don't know. Like, are NHL GMs looking at that and saying, oh, man, this is the guy we need? Probably not. Probably not. But Fan- Fans, though. The fans. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but I had no idea, just as a side note, the extent – to which Latvians love hockey. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm seeing this today. Like, it's a national holiday. A Canucks goaltending prospect got 1.9 million people the day off work. Yes. Good for Arters. Good for Latvia. 100,000 Latvians filling the streets of Riga. Yes. To celebrate the bronze. It's an arty party. It's an, it's an arty party to the maximum extent. In uh in Latvia, I did want to. So, as far as trade talk goes, there's some goalie trade talk I want to get into, in regards to Silovs having an excellent tournament and showing again that potential that hey maybe one day he can be this in the NHL. And it's a lot to take away from one tournament where, let's be honest, it's not the uh. It's not the Olympics when the NHL is going where the stars are all out, but there are still some NHL players. There's a a lot of players that play in European leagues and also in the AHL as well. It's not the stiffest of competition, but when you're playing behind a Latvian team like Arthur Silovs was, that competition is uh, heightened, I would say. Finna drag... Latvia, my <laughs> god. Sorry, Latvia. Well, I mean, let's look at the Latvia roster, shall we? The uh, Latvia 2023 World Championship roster, which, like, look, you won bronze. That's great. 
nobody thought you would get there and you did it. Um, but I'm trying to see. So their defensemen, I can't even name one of these guys. One of them plays for uh, Florida. The Panthers is in the Panthers organization. And uh, one of them plays for the Abbotsford Canucks, actually, uh, Christians Rubens. Other than that, they're all from uh, Europe on European teams. So what I wanted to get into is, after this great showing, what's your confidence level in Arthur Silov's next season? And I know we've talked a bit about, some shows have talked about him maybe backing up at certain points of the year. His contract makes it a little easier to call him up for spot starts if you want to get him games here and there in the NHL. But I think ideally for most people, you want to see him get the majority of the starts in Abbotsford. Correct? Yeah, don't you want to overseason goalies? That's what they did with Demko. That's what they did with Demko. And like for the most part, unless you need a goalie to come up, I think most teams are very willing to let any prospect really, but especially goalies, just sit in the AHL for as long as possible. And I don't think that's going to be different with Seelovs. But what's interesting to me is if he exceeds expectations this year, let's say he, he stands on his head in Abbotsford, he makes it undeniable that he is ready to be in the NHL, even as just a backup, a 1B guy. What do you do with Thatcher Demko? Do you hold on to Thatcher Demko? Do you say, hey, like, this is our guy. We know what he can provide. He is going to be here until the end of his contract. Or do you start to think about, kick around the possibility of trading Thatcher Demko? Not in the immediate future, but maybe after this season, if Seelovs looks like he's ready to take the next step. Woodley came on the station a few weeks ago. might have been last month. And uh, I think it might have been PDO. And he highlighted how, while losing his goalie card, uh, you should not extend goalkeepers past five years because the game moves and evolves so quickly that uh, NHL keepers have a hard time keeping up throughout their career. And for th- uh, for Demko specifically, next year, once the season is over, He's going to be 28 years old. He's going to have two years left on his contract yeah. at $5 million per season. And I believe the total salary uh, is also it's going to be $6 million and then $5 million. Here's the thing, right? They want to make the playoffs next season and the year after that. Yeah. You're going to have to go with your star goalie in Demko. For next season, definitely. For next season, definitely. That's why it's so hard to imagine them trading Demko. My thing is, and and this has been Rutherford's kind of MO in the past, is you want to create a team where the goalie doesn't really matter. And it's nice to have a goalie like Demko, but realistically, you want to be able to have a team that can win with, you need a certain level of goaltending, but a team that doesn't need Demko-like performances to win night in and night out. And I just think that if this team, if this management group can make a few moves that maybe elevate it to where they're close to that level, then you can explore the idea of trading Thatcher Demko and maybe putting yourself at that level. Because what we heard 
uh, when it came to potential rumored trade packages for Demko at the deadline, specifically from LA, and I know Satyar Shah of Canuck Central has talked about this, is there was a right-handed defensive prospect, I believe it was Helga Granz, and then you're maybe looking at a center prospect, someone like Alex Turcott, a first-round pick, and you were also taking back somebody like Cal Peterson. So if in an ideal scenario, you're able to get a right-handed defensive prospect, something you desperately need, a center prospect, something you also desperately need, and a pick, and maybe you're taking back a contract, and I get that, is that not something you explore and you trade from a position of strength to address multiple positions of weakness? And again, this is assuming Seelov's shows well in Abbotsford this year. Again, maybe plays 10 or so games in Vancouver, probably less, 5 to 10 games. And looks like he's ready to be the 1B. And maybe Cal Peterson, if that if that potential rumor trade did come to fruition, maybe somebody like Cal Peterson or whoever it may be would be your 1A and you hope Ian Clark can help figure them out. But I just think eventually you're going to have to make a decision on Demko. And look, he he's relatively healthy for a goalie, I would say. But there's always a concern that eventually a goalie is going to get an injury that is hard to come back from. And with the two years left on his contract after next season, that would kind of give you ample time to try to figure out the ideal return for somebody like Thatcher Demko. We'll get into that a little bit more later after the break, uh, but we do want to get into some basketball talk. Marcus Fitzgerald, host of Basketball Central on Sportsnet 650, joins us now. Uh, thanks for taking time, Marcus. How are you? I'm good, Josh. How you doing, Paul? Doing well. I wanted to start with uh, some breaking news uh, reported by Woj, that former Raptors head coach Nick Nurse is now the head coach of Joel Embiid and the 76ers. What do you think of that fit? Well, uh, I hope that Joel Embiid is ready to play 46 to 48 minutes a night. Uh, this is going to provide some drama in Philadelphia. It's going to provide some good things basketball-wise too, Josh, but uh, this is a, a fascinating hire because uh, Joel Embiid has taken some, some shots at Nick Nurse in the media the last couple of years. Nick Nurse has caught some strays from who now is his most important player. And also, uh, there's no guarantee that James Harden is going to be back. There's a uh, player option for Harden that he has until June the 29th to pick up. So I wonder what was promised uh, to Nick Nurse before he agreed to take this job. Did he take the job knowing that James Harden is eventually going to wink-wink, sign a new contract? Maybe it is that max deal that's uh, been put out there, four years at $201 million. Uh, so we do have to wait for some things to play out here. I am curious to see some more of the reporting from Woj and Shams and the rest and, you know, what uh, what kind of went on in the back rooms and the wheeling and dealing and stuff. I just want to know what uh, Nick Nurse kind of agreed to because, again, Joel Embiid is the reigning MVP, but those two have had their moments in the past. Uh, Nick Nurse is a guy who is not afraid to play starters a ton of minutes, whether it's Embiid, whether it's Joe, uh, uh, James Harden, whether it's Tyrese Maxey, whether it's Tobias Harris so there's a lot of fascinating things with this hire and uh, I can't wait to see what comes out uh, in the next few hours and the days ahead what Nick Nurse agreed to because again we don't know if, if James Harden's even going to be there and 
who knows? If James Harden's not going to be there, Josh, maybe Joel Embiid gets a little upset, and suddenly Nick Nurse is uh, presiding over a, a massive rebuilding project as well. So there's a lot of factors at play, but any way you look at it, basketball or otherwise, and for the drama, the fantastic hire. Yeah, definitely. It, so if they did end up losing Harden, do you see a path to getting to the Eastern Conference Finals for the Sixers? At, it, like, What would they have to do to get past the hump that they've they haven't been able to lately. Yeah, that's that's a tough one because they don't have a ton of cap space to us. That's the big thing. James Harden could leave for Houston, which is a franchise that he has been uh, connected to. The Rockets have $64 million in cap space, so they could conceivably just offer James Harden whatever he wants, the max that he's looking for, and he could leave the Sixers for nothing. The Sixers have a pretty hefty bill as it is, and with the new CBA coming in, it's going to be very difficult to retain multiple stars. And, and as we've seen with the Sixers the last few years, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals has proven to be extremely difficult, whether it's Ben Simmons, whether it's Jimmy Butler. I mean, they've tried it, and they keep you know, keep trying to push that stone up the hill, and it keeps falling back down the hill. So I, if, if they lose James Harden, I'll put it like this. If James Harden walks away, it's going to be very difficult for the Sixers to get into the Conference Finals. Now, you can try to replace Harden's numbers in the aggregate, but again – you know, you don't really know what you're getting there. Tyrese Maxey's a really nice player. But he's a little too one-dimensional right now. They would need him to take a massive leap if Harden was to walk out the door. Now, if they do re-sign Harden, then yes, of course, they can still be competitive. But then you have to factor in the relationship with Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid and all the drama that I just laid out in, in the first scenario here. So it is possible, Josh. But, you know, as, as time goes on here and, and James kind of waffles towards his decision and now you got a new head coach, it seems a little more further away than it seems closer to actually happening, if that makes sense. It is the People Show. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf, joined by Marcus Fitzgerald of Basketball Central. So I wanted to get into tonight's Game 7. So for the fourth time in NBA history, a team is forced to Game 7 after being down 3-0. Do you think the Celtics are the ones to finally complete a reverse sweep in the NBA? I, I think they can. I definitely think they're capable of doing so. The interesting thing from game six the other night, Josh, was that Boston shot, I think it was seven for 35 from deep. And one of the things about the Celtics team that makes them go is their ability to consistently shoot the three. I mean, we've seen them during the comeback in this series, not necessarily in game six, but in the other uh, games in this series that they've won, where they've lit it up from three. It's, it's the Derek Whites, it's the Marcus Smarts, it's even the Jalen Browns kind of getting on court to say nothing of Jason Tatum, who has been great uh, in this series when he has uh, been called upon. But that's what, again, made Saturday night so interesting is that the Celtics didn't do what they usually do to win, and they still found a way to win. And Miami's a little bit banged up right now, and Jimmy Butler might even be a little bit banged up. Everybody's banged up, of course, at this time of year. But I just feel like the Celtics coming back home, they have all the momentum. Uh, Now, one thing we do know, uh, the Celtics, for whatever reason, aren't particularly good on their home floor. Uh, during the postseason they've had their moments and they squandered uh, especially in this series dropped the first two games on their home floor so I I think it's a scenario tonight Josh where the Celtics win the game but if they do they're going to have to win by like 20 because we've seen this Celtics team you know when the game is close when it is close they have have shown a tendency to uh, throw it away if you will either the Celtics win by 15 or 20 or the Miami Heat grind one out because they have been the little engine that could all postseason long and Jimmy Butler's one hell of an engine so we can make it happen as well. But again, either the Celtics blow them out or the Heat pull out a close one. And there's really no middle ground in this one. It, it should be fascinating. I can't wait. 
do you think there's a reason for the Celtics struggles at home? Because like every other team in the NBA seems to have more success on, on their home court, but for whatever reason, uh, TD garden just hasn't been that friendly for them. Yeah, I'm not totally sure. And again, with the shooting Josh in, in, in Boston, with their ability to shoot the ball, they're such a, they're such a high variance team. And, and a lot of times in basketball, no matter what level it is, you could go to the park by yourself and miss nine or 10 shots in a row. Like imagine doing that and then having to run back on defense. Nobody wants to play defense if you're not shooting the ball well. If the ball's not going in, you're going to have problems. That's one of the problems the Raptors had this season. That's why Nick Nurse is no longer the coach in Toronto and he's now in Philadelphia. The Celtics are such a high-variance club that you never totally know what you're going to get. And for whatever reason, whenever the game is tight, the offense kind of grinds to a halt. Even Marcus Smart has been quoted as saying that their offense is random. Like, he actually used the word random to describe their offense. And when you're at home and you've got the crowd and, and you're struggling, things start to tighten up a little bit. I, I think that's kind of gotten into the Celtics' minds a little bit. And also, we have to remember that Ime Udoka is no longer the head coach. Joe Mazzula is. Missoula's had his issues, but because Ime Udoka is no longer there, the Celtics have kind of lost their identity, and they're sort of finding it along the way. They've kind of stumbled into this thing now where they've tied this series to three games apiece. Again, I'm pretty sure the Celtics are going to win this game, but if they don't, I also would not be surprised if that makes sense because nobody can figure out this Celtics team, least of all me. I, I still haven't been able to. Yeah, and so as for the Heat, there's there's been some debate about it, I guess. Like, is this a Cinderella run for them? Like, I know they're the eighth seed, but they they obviously finished first in the in the conference last year. They've made the conference finals in three of the last four, and they had one trip to the finals uh, in 2020. It, it feels like a lot like the Panthers in hockey, where yes, they finished eighth, but really, I think it's hard to say that they're they're dramatically overperforming. Yeah, the, the, the bones were there. The structure was there uh, from last season when they were the number one seed. And Jimmy Butler's a great playoff player, and he's proven to be one of the better playoff players of all time. I think it's been said 100 times now that if you're a casual NBA fan and you tuned in and watched the postseason, you'd be convinced that Jimmy Butler is one of the greatest players to ever play. And then you have Fam Adebayo, who kind of comes and goes. He's not quite on the level of obviously a Giannis or a Jokic or an Embiid or even an Anthony Davis, but he is capable of having nights where he can give you 22 and, and 10. But after that, you look at this rotation, Josh, and there's not a lot there. Tyler Hero has been out pretty much the entire playoffs. His fits in the sideline are spectacular. He it looked like he was wearing really elaborate pajamas the other night <laughs> uh, in Boston. So, so that's been entertaining, but he hasn't been able to give them anything on the floor, obviously. Victor Oladipo got hurt. So when you break down the rotation, man, it's like, there's Jimmy, there's Bam, there's uh, the husk of Kyle Lowry, there's a guy who looks like Kevin Love and who used to be Kevin Love, and then it's a bunch of scrappy undrafted guys and a couple of cans of paint. And when you look at their roster like that, it does kind of feel like a Cinderella story. It's just a shame for them that they appear to be regressing to the mean at the absolute worst time. So if the Celtics do make it through, well, whichever team makes it through, do you think either of them can handle the Nuggets? Well, I will say that if Miami gets through to the finals, uh, they would be lucky to get one game off of the Nuggets. I, I think Miami would get wiped by Denver. And I will say this, if the Celtics get through, I think there's a universe where they could win that series. Now, I, I talked about you know, how Boston's such a high-variance team with the shooting and the defense and just the overall engagement. Um, 
you know, if you take a Celtics team that comes back from three nothing down to win the Eastern Conference final, get into the big dance for the second straight year where they were just were one year ago. Like in that way, they're battle tested. They get into the finals, they go on the road against a team in Denver where I'm sure they're having the rest versus rust debate uh, for the last week. Josh, I, I will say, Josh, I'm not worried for your Nuggets in this series, regardless of who they play. I think the Nuggets can beat either of these, te- either of these teams. But I will say that there is a world where the Celtics could beat Denver because uh, we saw Rui Hachimura check Jokic so Anthony Davis could be uh, the roving free safety. Obviously, that didn't work because Jokic still dominated. The Nuggets swept the series. But Boston could still go to that same prototype where you put Al Horford on Jokic and you have the time lord Robert Williams kind of float around and be that free safety because obviously Jokic is going to give you 35 points and 16 rebounds and 15 assists every night. We know he's going to give you those numbers and that's it. But if you can get in Jokic's kitchen and slow him down and beat him up a little bit, then you're going to give yourself a chance. You cannot outscore Denver, but Boston has the length, the athleticism and the three point shooting to kind of neutralize everything that Denver does well. So if you want a good series in these finals, you want to have a good show for a couple of weeks, You want to root for the Celtics tonight because I think the Celtics would at least give Denver a much better series than Miami. And do you you think the Celtics would have more success with slowing down Jokic? Because, I mean, we saw the Lakers make the adjustment, but it it obviously didn't work out in the end. Do you think Boston would have better luck with that? Well, yeah, and like I said, I mean, they can do kind of the same things. They can take similar personnel. Uh, in Al Horford and Rob Williams and try to slow down Jokic. But the point is, no matter what, uh, Jokic is going to give you those numbers. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't mean to compare Jokic to Shaquille O'Neal because nobody should. But Jokic is that guy now. He's reached that point in his career, and he's reached that point in this postseason where it, it's kind of like what P.J. Tucker said about Kevin Durant a couple years ago, where it's like, look, Kevin's going to give us 35. We know that. Let's make the other dudes beat us. So it may come down to Jamal Murray may come down to Michael Porter Jr. Hell, it might even come down to Bruce Brown. Either way, Jokic is going to get his. He's going to get his numbers. He's going to be dominant, and he will be a lead candidate for finals MVP. There is no doubt about that. What the Celtics need to do, though, is to just beat him up, slow him down, and hope for the best. Because you know what? The Lakers couldn't do it. Uh, the Timberwolves couldn't do it. The Phoenix Suns sure couldn't do it. It could be, Josh, that this is just Nikola Jokic's time. It's just a matter of, is there a team out there? Is there an opponent out there that can beat him up and slow him down long enough to potentially steal a title? That's the big question. Well, heavy bias, but I I hope it's his time. Uh, Marcus, appreciate you taking the time and uh, enjoy the game tonight. Hey, love you, pal. We'll do it again soon. Awesome. Uh, That is Marcus Fitzgerald, host of Basketball Central. You can hear that weekly here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, It'll be an interesting night in the NBA uh, Celtics heat game seven. I do think this is the time it finally happens. The, the reverse sweep will be completed for the first time in NBA history. It seems like the Celtics are just, they, they figure things out in this series. And, uh, it's also the first time the home team has ever been the team, uh, to come back from being down three Oh, to host a game seven. So that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Uh, also, Game 6 of the Western Conference Final in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Dallas Stars, Vegas Golden Knights. The Stars getting Jamie Benn back into the lineup. 
uh, trying to come back against the Golden Knights. That also you can hear right here on Sportsnet 650 uh, puck drop after five. This is the People Show. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf along with Dom and Elon. On the other side, we'll get into a bit more of that Seelovs Demco talk and uh, some other things as well. It is the People Show here on Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the People Show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf alongside Dominic Tremati. Uh, here today, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. No big Nazar because he is on Canuck Central with Satyar Shah. Uh, Dan Riccio off this week. So it'll be Bick and Sat. Today they're going to be joined by Daily Faceoffs, Frank Saravalli, weekly guest, and uh, Don Taylor. Mondays on Canuck Central. Um, got this text 650 650 Dunbar Lumber Text Line. Uh, talking about the Heat and Celtics tonight. I hate basketball. I hate basketball. That's the text. <laughs> Unsigned. Fair enough. That's actually, I've, I'd like to ask you something off the heels of that fantastic text that's unsigned. Um, sign your text, coward. <laughs> what has had your, what has held your interest more uh, this spring? Has it been the Stanley Cup playoffs or the NBA playoffs? So I feel like I'm biased. Because your nuggets are in my nu- like the nuggets have yeah. made it. The Canucks far. have not. They've held my interest. But just from a storyline perspective, I still think the NBA is just it's more entertaining. And it, it it's tough because if you look at the series in the Stanley Cup playoffs as well, like I, the first round I will say was very exciting. Fantastic. First round in Stanley Cup playoffs yeah. are always better than NBA to me. Buzzing. But Second round, conference finals, meh, you know? Here's the thing about hockey. It's a great sport. Love the sport. Are you going to text in, God, I hate hockey? No, can't do that. I can, but I won't. Fair enough. The thing that sucks about the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I don't think there's any way around it because of just how grueling the sport is, the product gets progressively worse with every round. Simply because the players have been ground to a pulp series after series after series. And by the time you get to the cup final, half the team should be on IR, but instead they're on painkillers and whatever. But that's kind of the thing, right? That's like the, that's the appeal to it. Absolutely. And that's why it's the hardest uh, trophy in sports to win. But it's not conducive to high energy fast-paced hockey i agree you know what's the i i mean i feel like the the same should hold true for basketball as well like you're playing the same you're playing more games if you play play in but it's not as physical there's no body checking it's it's a different sport but guys are playing on broken ankles yeah it's you're right i do think there's an uptick once you get to the stanley cup finals yeah, well, it's the because stage, then it's like, right? hey, this is yeah. it, yeah. And you, you just go balls to the wall. Um, yeah, I I agree. I don't think there's any way around it. I I do 
it, it's tough because in the first round, and I know I know people on the station have talked about it. In the first round, you love to see all these upsets. You're like, wow, Florida beat Boston, and like this team beat that team. Yeah. And then usually this this year it's different because Florida obviously made it all the way. But usually in the second round, the team that upset gets just shelled because they they're actually not that good at hockey. The Maple Leafs. <laughs> they didn't upset though. <laughs> they just did what they usually do <gasps> a round later. Um, and and so in hockey that happens. Whereas in basketball, I think generally after the first round, the weak teams are out. Yeah, this year it's different. But again, I don't think the Heat. Are. I don't think it's different. I just think there's more parity in the NBA than before. I will, yes, definitely. We have a like, seven seed in the Eastern Conference Final. Usually, it's especially in the NBA. It's like, oh, these four teams that we thought were like the the one to three seeds all made it. Yeah. And this year, it's been different. Um, Unless the Celtics win tonight, and then it's a one seed and a two seed. Yeah. But still, uh, still. The journey is what matters. Not yeah, yeah. It would the lower seeds made it further than yeah. usual, but I don't know. I'm still holding out hope that the uh, the Heat are going to win. Elon, do you have a do you have a prediction for tonight? Well, I did have a comment on that. You're tuning into the NBA every night because you know what am I going to miss? Jimmy Butler's going to go off and score forty. Jason Tatum's going to go and put up fifty three. In the NHL, it's a little harder to tune into something like that when it's a full on team game. Yeah, you're like, oh, maybe. Maybe Eichel will score tonight. It I find hockey is a, is in the playoffs. It's more I tune in because I see stuff happening on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm like, oh man, like that's great. Actually, I agree with that. Yeah, that, like this is happening. Like Kachuk is doing Kachuk things again. Whereas in the NBA, I'm tuned in from the start because to Elon's point, like I know something special is probably going to happen, By or the, way. the stars are going to show up. Just regardless. When is the last time an NHL player in the playoffs just absolutely stole the spotlight like Matthew Kachuk? I can't remember it. Um, Ryan Kessler? Beast mode? That was for like a series. But like, I feel it's like... unbelievable what Matthew Kachuk is doing right now. Yeah, it, it's crazy. He's out, so clutch. It, it's funny because he's exactly the type of guy that you would assume would succeed in, in a playoff set, environment, in yeah. playoff, and he hadn't in Calgary, and then he goes to Florida, and he's like, "Wait, I figured it out. This is fine. Uh, I need I need sunshine and a nice coach. <laughs> yeah, I need sunshine and a nice coach, and people just to not care that much, and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, are you nervous, by the way? Nervous about what? Uh, who wins tonight, Heat or Celtics? I wouldn't say. Are you pretty confident, no matter who they play? I. So if if the Heat win, my confidence that the Nuggets are going to win the the finals goes up to like ninety five percent. Wow, I pff, Heat culture, Schmeet culture. Okay, mm, shouldn't say that. That'll uh, come back to bite you. If the Celtics win, I probably drop down to like a sixty, just because thirty five point swing. Yeah, just because like the Heat are so beat up. Like Marcus Fitzgerald in the last segment was mentioning that they're beat up. It's taken them a lot to get here. It feels like everything lately for them has just been gravy. You know what I mean? And if they make it to the finals, that's great, but they're probably not going to win many games. And I, I definitely don't think they can win four against Denver. But I don't I don't know. 
It, whereas with the with the Celtics, it's like they they're a team that should be there. They were there last year, and they're just they're definitely more intimidating. Just from a, they they also match up better against the Nuggets as well. I don't know. It's uh it's gonna be interesting to see. I I wouldn't say I'm nervous about either though. I will say this just to continue the comparison between the two, the whole Jokic going for his first ring. Uh, storyline in the NBA, uh, I feel like compares nicely to Matthew Kachuk and what the Panthers are doing as well. Very similar I, I franchise say, arc, arches, arcs. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. Because Denver's never been there. Denver's right? never been there. Panthers have been there once. They lost to Colorado. Yeah. I, I don't know if Jokic and Kachuk are the best comparisons, though. I'm making it. You th- like how how are they how are they similar other than being- two headlining stars going for their first ring on franchises that have historically never been able to get it done? That's my comparison. Okay, fair enough. I I to me, may and maybe this is too bold. Jokic is like the McDavid of the NBA. I don't know. Just because it's like, hey, that's the best player in the league right now, and he hasn't won yet. I would say Jokic is more dry sidle. Sure. Not just because they're both European. I feel like that's why. <laughs> I feel like that's why. Uh, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we'll get into a few texts here. Uh, this one, Table Saw James. Careful there, Josh. The last time a fan base chanted for a team from Florida, it didn't go so well. We want Florida. Yeah, I do want Florida this time. <laughs> I'm not going to chant it, though. I am not going to chant it. Uh, Johnny Mack. This this question has been uh, haunting Canucks Twitter lately. Do you think if Matthew Kachuk was drafted by the Canucks, he would he still be playing for Vancouver? And hard I, to say. I don't know what you guys think. To me, the answer is yes. But it also like it's this whole like domino effect of hey, do they do they end up getting Pedersen Hughes? Pedersen, like I think they get Pedersen. I don't think they get Hughes, but it's hard to say. It's hard to know if he just wanted out of a Canadian market, which, I mean, like, to be fair, maybe he did. Or he just didn't want to play for Daryl Sutter. Yeah, or Calgary. Or Calgary. Because a lot of players don't want to play in Calgary. Yeah. Old rink, mid-city, no offense. (laughs) It is pretty mid. Sorry, Calgary. Crappy coach. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's uh, I I don't think he would have had as strong of a desire to leave. I'll put it that way. Uh, six fifty six fifty Dunbar lumber text line. So to start the show, we were talking about Thatcher Demko, Archer Silovs. Silovs obviously just had that amazing tournament for Latvia, winning bronze. He was the MVP of the tournament at the World Championships. Uh, and one thing I put out there is, hey. If Seelofs has a good season this year in Abbotsford, maybe spends a bit of time in Vancouver. At the end of the year, and I'm not talking like immediately, you don't have to rush into this, do you start to consider trading Thatcher Demko and trying to see what you can get for him? Because as has been mentioned, there have been some pretty good-looking rumored returns that the Canucks may have had available to them at the deadline, namely from teams like the LA Kings, where they are very obviously a goalie away to an extent. Uh, so we got some texts on that. 
on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Demko at $5 million is exactly what the Canucks need. What's Carolina paying for two goalies? That's your difference. Demko is playing way above his worth, and that's why teams are inquiring about him. That's also the reason I will say why you would get a big return for him. A goalie that is consistent, you know what you're going to get from him, is on a team-friendly deal, that's why you're going to get the right-handed defensive prospect you want, the center you want, the first-round pick you want. And you're not really going to get that by trading anybody else on this team. Thatcher Demko is the only piece. And the only place you have... Trade, tradable piece. Tradable piece. Like, not core pieces that... Like, you could trade Peter Center here. Yeah, but you're not yeah. doing that. Yeah. Goaltending is the only position where you have enough... P- or you have enough confidence in the system, in Ian Clark, in some of the prospects, that you can move on from someone who's playing near the top of their game and you're still going to be able to be nearly as successful. And again, this is if Seelovs works out. But here's the thing. You can only get that return if you're making that trade this year or by the deadline. Because part of his value is that his contract still has term. He'd still have two years yeah. after this next year. Yeah. I, I, and every I, year you hold him, you, it's less and less value. Maybe to an extent. I don't think it would be... Like, once it gets down to one year or less, I think you start to see a bigger drop-off. But I think when if it's a goalie that still has two years left on his deal, I I think that's uh, – like, the return isn't going to go down too dramatically in that case. But then you're also, you're also risking, okay, is there a decline in his performance? The, the other is. The other risk that comes in is, let's say – Hey, look around the league. How many time, How many teams desperately need a goalie? A lot of teams would like a goalie, but I think maybe it's only L.A. and a couple other teams that look like they're poised to go deep in the playoffs if they could just find a goalie. Like I, I know the Leafs have come up as a team that needs a goalie, but even then I think they – they're confident in finding guys like Samsonov or or Matt Murray who aren't going to be nearly as good as Demko would be, but can play in their system and and give them a certain level of goaltending. I I, I worry that if you wait too long as well, teams are gonna find other options to fill that hole. But also, hey, maybe other options open up as well. It goes both ways. Um. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Colin from the Caribou. So we were talking about the uh, Kachuk talk and if he would leave Vancouver. Had he been drafted by Vancouver, the Kachuk talk in this market drives me nuts. What most fans don't realize is if we drafted him, we likely aren't in the same position to draft both Pedersen and Hughes. Who would you rather have on your team, Matthew Kachuk or both Pedersen and Hughes? Because you can't have all three. I'm Hold taking- on. Go ahead. I'm taking the two stars over the one. Hold on. But you're – this is the problem with what you just texted, Colin, is that you're assuming that the other two prospects that they draft that aren't Pedersen or Hughes are automatically busts. Right. Which well, you can't do. 
you can't just assume that you're not getting a good player in those two other drafts because you don't know how it would have played out. Yeah, it it's hard. But I do think that so Kachuk wouldn't have affected twenty seventeen. I don't not not that much, no. Like you still I think would have gotten Pedersen. Worst case you were maybe picking sixth, I think even at the time, if if we can believe what the rumors around that draft were, is the Rangers and the Canucks like Pedersen. Vancouver was picking fifth, Rangers were picking seventh. I don't know if Matthew Kachuk, if he was even playing on your NHL team year one, if he would have put you past the Rangers. Yeah. Um, 2018 is where things get a little more questionable. Maybe you slide out of Quinn Hughes' range because he already fell more than he should have. And then after that, what are you you're looking at? Like Evan Bouchard, Noah Dobson. Like you still could have found a guy, but it definitely definitely wouldn't be Quinn Hughes level. But I will say, personally, I would trade Quinn Hughes for Matthew Kachak straight up right now. Really? Yeah, definitely. And I know it's like, hey, you need a defenseman, but I'll take the guy that's backpacking his team in the playoffs. Yeah, like arguably a top ten player in the league over a guy that's arguably a top 10 defenseman in the league. Imagine if it was the Canucks drafting Vitaly Kravtsov, not the Rangers that year. Maybe he would have worked out. Maybe. Maybe he would have been in shape from the start. It it would Butterfly effect, man. Who knows? Maybe not. Uh, this one, Andrew and Victoria. It's way too early for the media to start a goalie controversy between uh, Silov and Demko. This is not Demko. a goalie controversy. Stop it. Just because it's hard to trade Miller – doesn't mean you need to jump on trading Demko. I don't even know if trading Demko is the best idea, honestly. We're just playing with the idea. I'm just saying, hey. people get so cranky? I don't know. People, when you, I get it. Like, when you have a good player on a good contract, you don't want to trade them. I just, like, don't, don't you want Seelovs to work out? Yeah, absolutely. You should want Seelovs to be ready to be your number one guy. When Markstrom was here, and he was good, and Demko was ready and waiting, Mm-hmm. It's the same thing happened. Yeah, this is people actually, love Markstrom. This is exactly what you want your goalie situation to be. Yeah, you have a guy that is exiting his prime, and a guy that's entering his prime, ready to take the role. And then you trade the guy that's about to be out of it. It's like running backs in the NFL. That's what I was gonna say. It's the most accurate comparison between positions, I think. Is goalies and running yeah, backs because, because their prime is so short. Their prime is short. A lot of teams By comparison. try to run with two of them sometimes and and hope it works out. Um, we'll but, have Woodley on Friday. We should ask him this question. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's at least something you should explore because again, I just think it would shore up so many other areas of your roster that. Uh, need to be fixed. Uh, Detroit Brian, you're way overvaluing Demko. He would not get three pieces. This is from reports. I'm basing this whole thing on reports from this past trade deadline where, and again, Sat from Canuck Central has mentioned this, the potential trade would have been someone like Helga Granz, maybe Alex Turcotte or a center prospect from the Kings and their first round pick. And then you're also taking Cal Peterson back. And to me, like, 
I, I think that's a lot to give up for a goalie. But again, the Kings have a lot of prospects. The Canucks are in a position where, hey, maybe they're not going to be ultra competitive on Thatcher Demko's contract, whereas the Kings are really set up well to be in a position where they could be making the playoffs consistently, maybe going on deep runs if they could just get some goaltending. Uh, and we got a text. The Kings have Corpus Allo. Corpus Allo just isn't that guy. And when someone like Thatcher Demko is available, you would take that 10 times out of 10 over someone like Corpus Allo. If you're a cup contender, or you think you are, and the one thing you need to get over that hump, that hurdle, is a goaltender, wouldn't you overpay? Yeah, and, and the other part is, like, again, the Kings have so many prospects. They have this wealth of prospects. Not all of them are going to work out, especially if you don't have room for all of them to work out. And I don't think the Kings have room for all of them to work out. And so that's why... Like, th- and that's why, to get into, into the whole rebuild conversation, that's why you like to stock up on picks and prospects because even if they don't all end up making it, they are trade options and you, you have opportunities to use those picks and prospects in other creative ways. And that's what a team like the Kings would be doing if they did pursue someone like Thatcher Demko. But again, you have three years to think about this because I I don't think this is something you should consider this summer unless a, an offer comes in that really knocks your socks off. But next summer, if Seelovs has that development growth that you want to see from him, then you consider trading Demko. You consider bringing in someone to shoulder the load with Seelovs for a year or two before Seelovs is really ready to take over. It's also just really hard to project how good a goalie is going to be in the NHL, especially because we haven't seen too many uh, too many games from Seelovs in Vancouver. Uh, tonight on the station, Golden Knights stars game six. Uh, quickly, do you guys think uh, Golden Knights finish it tonight? No. No? Yeah, it's game, seven? game seven. Do we get two reverse sweeps? That'd be great. That would be fun. Elon? Uh, you know, I think uh, it's going to be a tight one. I think Vegas gets it done. What about you, Josh? One and one. I, I think th- Jamie Ben revenge game. I think way. Golden Knights get it done. I think Jamie, I think the stars were fighting for the spirit of Ben. <laughs> He's not dead. <laughs> He's very much alive. Uh, but it, it, like, when your captain is suspended, I think players on the team are like, "Hey, we owe it to him to win these two games." He's to, back now. We to can give take him a our shot. foot off the pedal. And then I, I no don't know. chance. I don't know. I I think there's a there's a little let up from them, but I I I think the Golden Knights win it tonight. Just and even if they don't win tonight, I think they win in seven. I can't see the Stars making it out unless Ottinger really steals them a couple games here. Which again, like I, I think he's probably the only goalie. Actually, I was gonna say the only goalie left in the out of the final four that could have done that. But Bobrovsky has been unreal, so maybe I'm wrong. But I think Ottinger has it in him to win a couple games. But if I was uh predicting, I'm saying Golden Knights in six, and you will be able to hear that game right here on Sportsnet 650 
later tonight. But coming up after the break, it's going to be Canucks Central, Central, Satyar Shah, Bik Nazar. They're going to be joined by Frank Valley talking about all the headlines from around the NHL, the Canucks offseason, what could happen, and Don Taylor of Donnie and Dolly. Uh, he's going to join at 4 o'clock. I have been uh, Josh Elliott-Wolf. I almost forgot my name there. That was embarrassing. Uh, this has been The People Show. Thanks to Dom Shermati. Thanks to Elon Shark. This has been The People Show on Sportsnet 650.